Welcome back, everyone, to the Fight Sites MMA podcast. Uh, another week, just me and Danny this time, uh, because actually we've had a couple light weeks in a row, but this time we're actually in between one incredible performance and one pretty interesting main event, and I guess you kind of have to temper that, but, you know, we temper everything. So, uh, Danny, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited for this. I, I, I don't want people to, to think we're, like, totally cynical. It's a, it's a really good main event. It's a really fun fight. Um, it just has some interesting caveats that should be uh, we will discuss here. Yep. But uh, I guess we should start with um, last week's main event, which we were very excited for. And I'm not going to say that it disappointed, but it was a bit more one-sided than I think we wanted it to be. Uh, Marlon Moraes, the number one contender, got toppled by Corey Sanhagen, number four. Uh, and this was a matchup that I think we were both worried for for Sanhagen, considering that, you know, um, he wasn't quite as polished as I think we would want someone to be when they're facing someone as dangerous as Moraes, but passed with flying colors and showed pretty much all the polish that he could need. Uh, so what was your initial read on this fight? So I went in favoring Moraes. And by the time when the fight started and I saw the first like couple exchanges, I was even before it was really kind of spiraling out of Marais's control. I was like, nope, that was a bad pick. I could just I just felt it. I could see it. And I was like, that was wrong. Um, in general, I think that Corey did a very nice job of diffusing and fainting out Marais's kicks and. He was very clearly cognizant of the leg kicks, as I pointed that out as something that would be particularly problematic. Um, so Corey would sort of feint his lead foot. He would sort of uh, half step and then retract his lead leg. And he would sort of cause Marais to, to spam either like a, a really heavy low kick and just miss. Or Marais wasn't sure of his distance and he just wouldn't throw him. Um, and so that when when Sandhagen did that, that was more or less the fight, because that was sort of the main my main concern was someone who could counter kick. But it was actually it was Sandhagen who was doing all the kicking um, and just being able to to kind of faint out. It was very um, it was like Dillashaw, a Sun Tzu 2 esque. Like it was the same kind of it was the same kind of approach where Sanhagen was like, I'm going to stay at the very the peak of my range. I'm going to faint out with, you know, half steps, draw out the kicks, and eventually he'll come up short enough times that he'll just stop throwing them. Yeah, I mean, I think Sanhagen is, and you might have mentioned this either before or after the fight, but I think Sanhagen is pretty much the perfect example of what you said in your metagame article with uh, how initiative kind of, dictates a lot of these fights because I think what makes Sanhagen such an interesting fighter isn't that he is flawless because he obviously isn't and that's something that no one should expect from a fighter like five or six years into his career but he's a very smart in both a large-scale sense and a small-scale sense and mid-fight and pre-fight and he just doesn't let his opponents dictate what they want to do and Marais like Marais has never been the very aggressive leading type except with his kicks which he couldn't land this time but he had pretty much no choice but to counter here. And when he decided not to counter, he actually had a pretty solid read with that uh, shifting left hook slash uppercut that he did. Or not, shifting left hook slash overhand, excuse me. That um, was meant to catch Sanhagen moving back linearly, which is something that we marked 
as a problem area with both the Lineker fights, uh, the Lineker fight and the uh, Alcantara fight. But Moraes just didn't, that just wasn't his game. His game was to counter and Sanhagen just took all that away from him. It was really, really impressive because Moraes still looked pretty good on the counter. He was countering in combination early. Uh, he was able to, um, when it got into like the deeper exchange early in the fight, uh, Moraes landed some pretty big right hands, but he couldn't find that initial shot consistently enough to chain that into those shots. And eventually he just stopped really wanting to waste energy. So, um, yeah, I mean, Moraes, he's so much of a bootleg Aldo that he should come out to Lil Wayne's run this town. But I don't really think that this is a fight that showed anything we didn't know about Moraes. It was just something that... It was something that increased the concerns that we already had against a matchup like Sanhagen. Yeah, uh, I think we can safely look at Marlon Moraes' last couple fights and say that his finish streak was largely, you know, some of it felt like a confluence of people walking into the perfect shot, but other parts of it just sort of felt like he was catching people at kind of the right time. Um you know, I'm sure he is still a dynamic enough finisher to finish some guys in the top 10, but he really cannot fight much at pace. And the thing is, I don't know if he ever really could. I think he was someone who had developed a defense enough that he was able to kind of limit and dictate exchanges, but he never really liked being pushed. Um, and it just seems like that kind of weakness has been exacerbated, uh, I think uh, from Corey's perspective, the um, the jab, his jab was a particularly useful tool. Um, it opened up a lot of his feints. It blinded Marais. Um I still have, like, I still think there are some question marks surrounding Corey to, to a certain extent. I mean, for example, his takedown defense still just looked... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite bad. Um, like it, it really is like a Carlos Condit type thing. Uh, it just like Morais lazily hit a takedown at the end of the first round and still managed to to complete it. Um, and I think it was I was our friend Tuman who said that Sanhagen might benefit from an outside perspective. Uh, and there's a few tactical things where that sort of, you know, being a crafty fighter who's maybe you know I would still argue is not as deep a fighter as Marlon Moraes in terms of just their the raw sort of technical skill set um that the right approach and the right thought process behind the approach can often upend that depth of skill as I've said before and I think Corey did it here uh there were a few instances I noted live Corey's tendency to sort of square his stance after throwing uh that stepping knee likely will get him hurt really badly someday. I, I don't think he can afford to, to do that against some of the better counterpunchers in the division. Um, but overall, it was an incredibly encouraging fight from, from Corey Sanhagen. Uh, he, the, the finish was, the finish was pretty funny. <laughs> like it was, it was a kind of a, the, the knockout itself felt a little strange, but based on the way the fight was going, I don't think there was any any, any doubt that Corey was eventually going to find his mark. Um, I 
I, I think more ice is a good example. And I pointed this out in, um, I think it was our Gaethje Ferguson preview. And I was like, anytime you have who generates a lot of like dynamic, quick finishes in a row, especially as they get towards the top of the division, you really need to scrutinize them even more. Because you have to, you always have to sort of consider the question of what happens if they can't do that. Um, you know, that's why I didn't pick. That's why I didn't pick Paulo Costa to beat Israel Adesanya. Um, it was for that exact reason. So Marlon Moraes is is a perfect example of that, as we saw him finishing a bunch of you know elite bantamweights, and we were like, oh wow, like he's just, is he really just this much better than everybody else? But I don't think that's entirely true. I think that he was, you know, he is a little bit, he's more solvable than I think we uh, we gave him credit for in the past. Because now you can look at, you can look at a lot of people who I may not have ever thought, to, you know, of picking over Marais, and you can see a path to victory for them against Marlon Marais, right? Um, you can see, a, a, I could see a Cheeto Vera, fucking up Marlon Moraes now. I can see um, who's another good example that's like sort of on the come up. <sighs> Rob, F- maybe not Rob Font, but you you get my point. Like there's people that we may not have considered uh, being able to contend with Moraes and now you can suddenly see it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a terrific performance from Corey Sanhagen. What do you want to see from him next? Because I, I feel hard-pressed to to see him getting a title shot off this when he just got finished so quickly by Aljamain. I think he did he did say that Aljamain and, and Jan were going to, you know, we're going to fight for the belt, presumably. Yeah, I mean, I think he called out uh, TJ Dolishaw and Frankie Edgar, and I think both are kind of, I think they're interesting fights for him in that Frankie Edgar has, he couldn't take down, like, Cub Swanson. So I think that's kind of a fight where, Frankie might just shoot and Corey just like, you know, tries to scramble and get stuck on the bottom. But on the feet, I think it's pretty likely that Sanhagen kind of um, kind of troubles him a lot, maybe just finishes him early. Uh, TJ, again, it really depends on where TJ is. Uh, there aren't a ton of fights for Corey Sanhagen that aren't the top two. And as we saw, one of the top two isn't really super interesting for him unless he makes like really, really huge changes. But the good thing is that he's, you know, young enough in his career that he can make those changes even if he hasn't yet. So, I mean, Sanhagen... I don't really know where he goes from here. Uh, Dillashaw's like a, a big name, even if it might not be as valuable as it was when he uh, when he left. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Marais, I think one thing that's kind of gone unnoticed is that, you know, Marais was kind of the I'm more active guy moving into the, the Cejudo fight. But it's interesting to see how many of his opponents are kind of more passive. I don't want to say passive, but like you look at Rafael Sonsao, he's kind of a pure counterpuncher in a lot of uh, situations. John Dotson kind of a pure counterpuncher, or at least, you know, walks around a lot, doing nothing a lot. Jimmy Rivera, uh, he's active enough, but also, you know, you can, you can see him sitting on the counter a lot, right? And Aljamain Sterling just wasn't a great striker at that point. I'm not going to say that these guys are not good wins, because they absolutely, objectively are terrific wins. But Marlon Moraes being the guy who's, you know, fainting out responses and punishing those responses, I think he likes being that guy way more than facing the more active guy who's going to take the initiative from him and that's true of everyone but I think it's easier to see with Marais considering the opposition that he's faced so far because like Javier Lasonso is pretty much the opposite of Corey Sandhagen. yeah I think that's pretty true um 
Yeah, and also when you know when Marais finished them, it's not like they were high paced finishes, right? It was they sort of like I said, it was kind of a perfect shot. Yeah, I I I think I'm on board with that. Um, I think actually Edgar would be an interesting one for for Corey Sanhagen. Um, because I think Edgar still might be able to threaten the takedown. I don't I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen Edgar consistently out wrestle an elite opponent. Um, I'm not saying he can't do it, but um. I guess it's just kind of an interesting ask. But yeah, like I think it was Simon in our chat and was talking about like how the top three in Bantamweight are like arguably the best top three of any division. Like, you know, you have you have Corey Sanhagen who's like five, six years into his career and he's already finishing, you know, a former title challenger inside of two rounds. Um, and showing improvement from fight to fight, and he's like you know, are, you know, looking more and more polished. Aljamain Sterling, you know, finished Corey Sanhagen without breaking a sweat and has, you know, he had a, a bit more of a, a tougher run, you know, in, in the lead up. He took a couple losses, but he ultimately made himself into a very, very formidable uh, wrestler, wrestler, grappler type at 135. And then at the top, you have Peter Yan, who's even younger than Corey Sanhagen, and basically, you know, just looked like he was he hatched to be a great a great fighter. Um, like it's you know, it really is a stellar talent pool. Um, and I like the fact that it feels like we have the kind of we have a pretty decisive elite tier of uh of bantamweights. Um. And Corey, you know, Sanhagen should be proud of the fact that he's he's already clearly in the midst. Um, like it's just they're just they're just all spectacular. Um, and I mean, I, I guess the you know Corey's matchup with Aljamain kind of spoke for itself. I still don't think I would pick Corey Sanhagen over Peter Yan at this point. Um, but aside from that, I can look at most of the other fighters in the division and say. Yeah, I think I think Sanhagen, you know, he's figuring it out. His process and his uh, his discipline and his his pace, um, like he's really starting to put together a system that that works for him and will work for him at the elite level. Uh, and you know, Sterling versus Jan is a is a fabulous fight. Like it's just a it's just an outstanding bantamweight is so good. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish it was better booked because they still haven't actually made Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan, which is pretty much a title unification bout if you look at, you know, Sterling probably deserving to have the belt off that Sanhagen win. But, yeah, it's terrific. And I think actually Sanhagen-Yan could be an interesting fight at least early because the things that I've noticed about Sanhagen's ring craft is mostly that he doesn't like getting blitzed backwards. And as I mentioned, that was a thing with uh, Marlon this time too, where if Marlon just walked forward with a big left hook or a big left overhand, Sanhagen would just try to outrun him. But when he's just getting pushed back, he's not really as bad. And I think Peter Yan's slow start might give Sanhagen an opportunity to look pretty good early, you know, plus the body work that uh, Aldo was able to pull off against Yan that Sanhagen might get a window to do. But I think eventually Yan kind of figures it out, figures out how to cut uh, cut Sanhagen off, even if it's with those big shifting blitzes. Like, Yan can do that. He just doesn't do it in the same way that someone like John Lineker does, but he can do it. And I think, Yen, it's pretty unfortunate for Sanhagen that he's like this super young, incredibly polished fighter. And 
there's another one right at that weight class and Peter Yan, who's even younger, a bit deeper into his career, but maybe even more impressively skilled relative to that. So, I mean, those two are going to fight and it's going to be terrific. Um, Sterling, I expect him to age out relatively soon, but he's a he's a threat to both. I mean, we are we already saw how much of a threat he is to Sanhagen, and um, he's a, he's a big threat to Yan. I, I definitely I think Sanhagen and, and Yan would definitely be a, a close fight early, um, but it's hard for me to not pick the more um, more experienced five round fighter who I know can ramp up when he needs to. Um, but it, you know, it's Peter Yan, like that's who he is. So yeah, uh, great win for for Corey Sanhagen for Marlon Moraes. I think we kind of we've kind of seen the issue at this point. Like um, it was Cejudo who really kind of blew the doors open on him, and then Aldo kind of had a similar similar type fight. It was ugly, but it was a similar type fight. And then you know Sanhagen just uh, just polished him off. So anyway. I think it's time that we move on to the main event of next week's card. Uh, an interesting booking, an exciting booking, but a, a strange one. Brian Ortega returns after uh, almost 700 day layoff. And he's fighting the Korean zombie because he kind of sucker punched his translator i think <laughs> is that right i don't even what yeah happened i think there? that's it is that what happened okay um yeah so the a very weird like uh inception to this fight like i i mean it's it's weird for a lot of reasons not the least of which is you know brian ortega by attacking assaulting rather zombies translator he has, by extension, locked himself in a you know in a must fight bout with with a Korean zombie, even though he's still inexplicably ranked number two. So presumably, if Brian Ortega wins, he'll uh, maybe he'll get a title shot. Maybe he'll get a title eliminator against Calvin Cater or something. I don't know. It's it's just a weird like it's weird the way that it worked. Because Ortega has done nothing since Holloway, you know, put a beating on him. And Zombie has been fine for the most part. But, you know, it still seems like a long shot for him to get a a title shot. So the two of them are fighting. If I sound reticent, it's because I am. There's... (laughs) I don't really know what to make of Brian Ortega at this point. Cause I said, it's been like 700 days since we've seen him fight. Has he been improving? Maybe has he been regressing or is he going to be physically the same? Who's to say Swaroom, help me out. Yeah. I mean, I think as you mentioned, it, it's pretty hard to trust Brian Ortega to come back in a good state after his last appearance was as a tool for Max Holloway to put the fear of God into the entire division. But I think it's a Korean zombie is in kind of no less weird a position because like both guys, both Ortega and, um, and Korean zombie have two of the same big high level wins, right? They have Hanada Moicano and they have Frankie Edgar, but both of them are no longer at featherweight, which means the only information we have against the current featherweight division is Brian Ortega getting completely tenderized by Max Holloway and Korean zombie having an incredibly ugly fight that ended with him getting knocked out against Yair Rodriguez. 
So this is the fight to go 1-1 against the current featherweight top 15 for a title shot, which is incredibly weird to me, even with the context of them having at least two more like genuinely solid wins, solid to good to great, whatever. But it's like, I think both would be more interesting against Alexander Volkanovsky than Zabit or Yair. But Zabit and Yair deserve it more, and that fight is just never going to happen. And as you mentioned, Brian Ortega pretty much jailbroke his way into this fight by just, you know, starting that feud with Jay Park and uh, Korean Zombie that made it so that that fight had to, had to, had to happen. It's like, it didn't really have to happen, but they say that it had to happen. So in terms of how they match up, I'm not sure there's much information whatsoever because Brian Ortega is probably a different fighter from when he beat Frankie Edgar, what, two, three years ago, somewhere there, Um, like two and a half years ago, right? March, 2018, somewhere there. So Brian Ortega, you can't really trust him to be who he is, especially as a fighter who always relied on being incredibly durable to last, to make these reads, and just having a feel for the fight that could easily decay over two years and taking as much damage as he did against Max Holloway. But Korean Zombie, he's just not given us much information whatsoever in his fights. Because, like, you had, what, Bermudez, which got him a quick knockout when Bermudez was doing pretty fine, and then he got uppercut. You had Moicano, who gave us not that much information. You had Edgar, who also gave us not that much information, because both of those were quick knockouts. And you had the Yair fight, which is just ridiculously gross. So it's not a fight where I have any reads that might look good going into the fight. As far as Zombie's sort of quick finish streak goes, um, I mean, I guess I'll kind of reiterate what I said before and, and maybe uh, maybe mitigate it a bit. Uh, I don't want to say that Zombies' win over Moicano like didn't tell us anything. Uh, like with with these finishes, I mean, after a certain point, it does sort of chart a trend. It indicates that Korean Zombie is a very quick starter, and he comes into fights with reads that he's he tries to make almost almost immediately um like he did that against uh oh what the hell mark hominick he did that against uh henato moicano he did that against frankie edgar with the uppercut and so forth like he he has a sense of his opponents and he comes in with a with a bit of a you know a bit of a read as he is kind of this thudding counterpuncher who tries to sort of punish punish people for changing levels on him and largely just wants people to try to try to walk in on him and uh you know he'll counterpunch so i don't think it's i don't think it's useless information um like it was you know he did immediately have a sense of moicano's jab and even before the knockout like moicano threw out a jab and like zombie tried to counter with a left hook and even watching it live i remember seeing that little clip and being like oh wow like zombie's trying to counter the jab like right away and then the very next jab that moicano threw got him destroyed so it's relevant in charting a trend and if you want to say korean zombie is a fast starter who you know comes into the fight with with reeds and tries to just employ them immediately and brian ortega is slow starter who's coming off a you know, a beating against Max Holloway and has been out for almost three years. Like, if, if you want to sort of take that as your as your read, 
you can like that's i think that's a perfectly valid uh i think that's a perfectly valid stance to take but i'm not sure because i really don't think I'm just not convinced that zombie can do a lot against like a decent fencer like i i said to ryan the fact that the fact that zombie did flatten moicano off that early cross counter it was awesome, but it also made me think um, it made me think that the rest of the division could probably watch that fight and think, oh, I see how to avoid this. Like, you know, other people can look at that information and be like, OK, here's what you don't give zombie early. Uh, you would not just sort of commit to a jab early because you know what he's looking for. You would try to feign him out. You would try to, you know, maybe kick his legs a bit, hit his body, play with rhythm you know, diffuse his senses a bit before you start playing off your jab. <clears throat> so the question becomes, you know, can Brian Ortega play that early game safely enough to diffuse Zombie, you know, before he's able to start kind of weaponizing his pace uh, and, and putting on the pressure? Or is Zombie just going to gonna clock him early? And you know, because the thing is, I think I think Ortega can do it, but the question is, can he do it safely? Um, I feel like that's usually a lot of these questions for us. It's like we know I I can see the skills, and I, I I think the opportunities are there, but it's a question of like, can he do it without putting himself in, you know, like a, a potentially fight-ending situation? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I have to take from the Moicano fight and even the Hominick fight is that uh, even when you time a counter that well, right, there's like a lot of entropy with the way that fights work. And that's something that, you know, any given punch can end a night or whatever. And Korean Zombie has done that more consistently than I would be like, oh, he's not good at it. He's just getting lucky. But I would still say that there's a certain bit of chance to the way that fights work that means that if that punch landed and it did not knock out Moicano or it didn't land quite as clean or it got like, you know, glanced off the shoulder or something, a lot of things can happen even with a punch that well-timed. How would Zombie react to Moicano now playing off that jab, fainting the jab, kicking him in the leg? Like, we didn't see any of that. And I think the fact that Moicano dealt with two jabs that well kind of meant that we can't really assume that he'll deal with a jab that's developed and dimensional, even as dimensional as Moicano's, if it went past minute one or minute two or minute three. So I think, and kind of the same with Hominick. I mean, Hominick's a bit more defensively liable, but I think there's some risk that someone like Mark Hominick, a very good boxer who can mix up his targets and, you know, hang out at range and faint, he might have given uh, Zombie a good deal of trouble if he didn't get killed off that first really awful left hook. So it's not that Zombie isn't doing good things. It's that he isn't really showing the things that would make me confident going forward at a consistent uh, at a consistent level against fighters of that same mold. So with Brian Ortega, Ortega's always been a pretty solid jabber. He did some good work with his jab against uh, Moicano and against Clay Guido, for instance, and he's always been very good at getting reads. Now, I don't really like his defense much whatsoever, but I also think Ortega classically is durable enough that he can eat one of those counters and be like, okay, how do I take this away? And if he's not still that guy, he could just get killed. But if he is still that guy, Korean Zombie might just not find the counters that he wants after that first minute. Yeah. I think I'm actually going to 
you know, we, we don't have to stop talking about it. It's not time to just make picks. But this is actually why I think I've, I've sort of been favoring Ortega in my head and why I think I'm going to ultimately pick him is that I Ortega's slow starts are, you know, they're 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 accurate. We've seen them. Um, but I think they're overplayed a bit like the time, you know, he, he looked like he was actually getting better when he fought Edgar and Ortega really didn't have a terrible first round against Max Holloway. Like I, in some ways that fight was, it was defined like by such a massive disparity in skill, like that it almost like, it's almost hard to even you know, mark that against Ortega. It's like, how was Ortega sort of ever supposed to to win that fight um, against someone who could, you know, play play the same basic game as him, but just much, much better. Um, but I think Ortega, like, he actually has been, you know, getting getting better at, like, finding his, you know, needling his way in with body shots or, you know, moving his trunk a bit. His defense and his offense are still, they're still, still a bit binary um, based on what we've seen. But I just, I just don't really, I still don't really know what, I don't know what Zombie's supposed to do against, against the decent fencer, against someone who can just sort of, you know, stick. I mean, Brian Ortega is huge. He could just stick a long jab in his face. You know, he kind of slings a, a decent right hand to the body. Um, he'll. He won't. I don't think he'll change levels on Zombie. I don't think he's going to be trying to shoot for a takedown. Um, so I don't know how much like the uppercut is going to get a lot of play, just because he's you know, like I said, Ortega is really tall. But. I think there's clearly a lot of concern from the side of Ortega. It's not just the fact that he's been out for 700 days. It's the fact that, you know, Max put <laughs> a career's worth of punishment on him in one night um, in a fight that very, very well, like, should have been stopped by Ortega's corner long before it was. Um, and that it's hard to, like, you know... It's been two years. I don't really know. We don't really have a lot of information with which to make this pick. It is sort of a leap of faith, but I just have this sort of skepticism about Zombie that, like, if he can't net an early knockout, like an early finish, I think, you know, more fighters, more and more elite featherweights get a sense for his timing. They kind of are able to, to figure out his a little more rope combination punching his distance closing blitzes are eminently counterable, even to the weirdest of counters, like we saw with with Yair. I just don't. I don't know if I see it. Like I'm. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna pick Ortega and maybe even pick Ortega by stoppage, which is. I mean, ironically, Ortega has actually. You know, he's gotten the reputation of being not much of a round winner, just sort of being a super dynamic finishing sniper. But, but it, you know, he actually, as his, as he's improved, he's actually gotten better at winning rounds. Like, he he probably had his best round-winning performance ever against Max Holloway. Again, it was just the fact that Max was so much, he was just demonstrably better than him. But, you know, Ortega did not look like a bad fighter in that fight at all. Who in this division can't, you know, 
knowing that those sort of early big read encounters are coming from zombie, if you approach him with just a little bit of patience and a little bit of thought, like who's to say you can't just just pick him apart from the outside? Aldo did that at a, at a lot of points. Um, Aldo had a lot of ease out kicking zombie. You know, he took him down at will. And then he ended up, you know, he finished him with like a, you know, a, I realized it was an injury, but he was also, you know, he also just kicked him to pieces anyway by that point. I don't know. I didn't mean to, I don't mean to come down on Korean zombie. I actually really like zombie, but I think there's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold on, you know, again, it's almost like now that the Moicano knockout has happened, I feel like we're we're likely to see that sort of result less. If that's... Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with the zombie, and I think the Yair fight, uh, you mentioned it briefly, but I think it deserves a little bit more mention, is that I think Zombie kind of got, I think Zombie kind of relies on guys kind of getting this fight uh, in a way that we haven't really seen outside of Yair, because Yair, he's not a very good fighter in my opinion. But uh, Yair is, he's a long athletic kicker and he just didn't really give zombie punch entries, right? Like if zombie wants to counterpunch, he'd have to counterpunch Yair's kicks mostly. And he didn't really have the ability to do that. No one in MMA does. But instead of actually pushing Yair back with like an actual pressure game, he blitzed forward at him very, very wildly numerous times. He found success because it's Yair Rodriguez. But that does not bode well against someone who can sit on the outside and kick, but actually well. And I think that's why I picked uh, Moicano over Korean Zombie the first time, because Moicano is the kind who can, you know, break the line of attack if Zombie comes forward, check hook him, and kick him on the outside. That's like that's a very bad matchup for Zombie, given what we saw against Yair. And that's what irritates me about the way that that fight ended, is that we didn't actually get to see Zombie deal with any of those factors better than he did against Yair. It's just that Moicano was actually able to box, and that's what got him killed. So it's there's a route for Ortega between, you know, working the legs, working the body, drawing the counters, putting into like these deeper, messier exchanges where he can like hit the body in exchanges where um, zombie kind of stops after that first counter. Or Ortega can just kind of get bonked because his uh, his feel for the fight has decayed over the last two years and he just can't take the amount of. And another concern I have with Ortega, and I think Ortega is a very good fighter. I think he's a better put together fighter than Zombie, honestly, given everything that we've seen. Like among those four wins over Moicano and Edgar, it's pretty funny that the guy with the reputation for being the most ass pull fighter in the in the sport has the most systematic performance, and that was the one against Moicano where he pulled the fight back with body work and stuff. But the concern that I have with Ortega in this kind of fight is that if he relies so much on getting reads, even at the cost of taking a little bit of damage. It's tough to see how he deals with a big, big puncher. And if we've seen nothing else about Korean Zombie, that's exactly what he is. Where Ortega has kind of been able to accumulate a little bit of um, a little bit of information against guys like uh, Clay Guida and Moicano and Edgar and even Holloway, who aren't punchers. They can kind of crack, but they aren't like you know kill you with one shot punchers. Where Korean Zombie is. So even in his prime, I'd be worried for Ortega in this kind of fight because you know he could just get killed before he gets the reads. But I don't think Zombie's the kind of deep threat to beat him with any sort of consistency, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe not. Like, I, I've i never taken Moicano as seriously as an elite threat as I feel like a lot of people have. 
And part of it was his sort of, you know, some of it was just his physicality. Um, so, like, maybe approaching it with that, you know, zombie approaching Moikana with that in mind, like, hey, this guy can be got to if I, you know, if I just commit really hard early. Um, you know, maybe there was maybe there was a sense in his head where it's like, I don't know if I can win this over over five rounds. Like, maybe my best chance is to do this early. But... I yeah, I'm gonna stick with Ortega. It's 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 a close fight. It should be a great fight. It should be a really fun, exciting, uh, exciting war. Like there's a chance it could be something really awesome. Um, it's exactly the sort of action fight that I'd want to see from these two. But I'm, uh, and it's not I'm, not that I don't think Zombie's good. Like I actually think there's a couple of fighters that I'd be interested in seeing you know, zombie fight, um, not the least of which would be Josh Emmett. But for this instance, I'm just not sure that I can trust him against someone who might, you know, who actually may have the sense to to start a little slower, take some time getting into the fight. And as long as he doesn't walk into something massive, I think I'm going to pick Ortega to, to, to win it down the stretch. He, he, tends to build as the fight goes on. He hits the body more. Um, he punches in combination more. You know, he finds... He even has a sort of, like, with his shell guard, he sort of has, like, a rear up elbow that he throws, almost like Shaman Marais. Um, and we've seen... We've seen Zombie. Zombie is a mark for those those wacky <laughs> elbows. Um, so there's a real chance there. But, um... Yeah, it it just seems like you know there there may be a chance that he just shows up shot to pieces, and I'm I feel stupid for even entertaining the idea that he might be the same fighter. But that's what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna pick uh I'm gonna pick Brian Ortega. I think I'll pick him by a fourth round stoppage. Man, that'd be cool. Uh, I I I think I'm historically the person to like ignore these kinds of uh, athletic big layoff type considerations because I picked like, you know, Jimmy Rivera over Cody Stamen and like Whitaker uh, the last four times that he's fought every time off a catastrophic injury. But I think this is one where I think there's a little bit too much working against Brian Ortega in the larger scale of things, even with what looks like a more, you know, a more systematic game and a more sensible game like that we've seen uh, recently. I think while there are roots for Brian Ortega, and he's a genuinely pretty smart fighter who was improving before Max Holloway uh, knocked all his brain cells out of his nose. Um, I think the fact that he's such a feel-based fighter is going to be rough with such a long layoff. The fact that he needs reads is going to be rough with such a, um, a long layoff. And the, um, the kind of puncher that Zombie is, the fact that he needs to kind of take a little bit of damage is going to be rough with all the damage that he already took uh, two years ago. I think it's... It's a fight that I'd always be kind of idly worried for Ortega in because, as I mentioned, like Zombie is, if he's nothing else, he's incredibly dangerous. But with this kind of circumstance, it's going to be tough for me to say that Ortega can even do the things that he normally does down the stretch. I think it's fairly likely that Ortega makes Zombie look kind of inert uh, and, you know, kind of ineffective. Because I don't think Zombie is as consistent a counterpuncher as people think. But I also don't really... It's really tough to trust Brian Ortega right now. I really want to, and I think he's a very interesting featherweight who'd be a compelling challenge for a lot of fighters. 
in his prime, but I don't think we're going to get classic Ortega. So a uh, Korean zombie in a round one knockout that makes me want to die because we still got no information on what Korean zombie does. We have information. He, he, he can knock out the Hinata Moikanas of the world. Shut up. <laughs> he can do. Uh, Surum really likes Moikano. Is there anything else on this card that we really care about? Uh, there's Ortega 2, Thomas Almeida. That's not Ortega 2. With, with the, lo- like with a, the uh, layoff. Oh, his is even longer. His is going on. Uh, wow, he's actually, is he over a thousand days? I don't know. Last fight was uh, UFC 220. So it's been a oh, long ass time. Man, that's close to a thousand days. Yeah, another big layoff. Well, Thomas Almeida was at one point like the bantamweight prospect that everybody cared about, and he got a lot of his hype swiped by Cody Garbrandt um, in what seemed to be kind of Cody Garbrandt's breakout win. Then he had one like bounce back win, lost back to back fights with Jimmy Rivera and Rob Font, and we have not seen him since. Um. So one of the big things was defense and durability issues for Thomas Almeida. And this is actually at featherweight. Um, he's moving up now, which might actually may be a good thing for him, all things considered. But, I mean, you know, Almeida is a really fun, again, a hyper violent, fun action fighter. Um, he has like he, he's a really traditional kickboxer in the sense that he'll uh He'll close out a lot of exchanges with um with the right leg kick. He does a lot of Dutch combos. Uh, long left hook to the body. Defensively, not really there much, but but he is tons of fun. I don't know. I I mean, again, like this is similar to the Ortega thing, even more so. It's hard to even like fathom what we might see from him i think i my my suspicion is that featherweight may actually wind up being a good thing for him having that not having to cut that weight might help his chin a little bit um he was a pretty long and lanky bantamweight anyways so actually putting on a little bit of size and muscle might be a good thing for him this is a very strange episode of the podcast because i feel like everything we're talking about is just like riddled with questions at least when we talk about like you know khabib Khabib Gaethje, like, we know those two fighters pretty well, so we won't have to spend so much time like, well, they also might look terrible. Um, There's always that chance, because we haven't (laughs) seen them in how many years. Um, Yeah, that's what I got. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, considering that Almeida was, like, Cody Garbrandt's only worthwhile win on the way to the title, you'd kind of expect him to be a bit more important than he's turned out to be. But... um, yeah, I, I really like watching Almeida when he's on. Uh, the Rivera fight was one of my favorite bantamweight fights of the last few years. Uh, and he even gave he gave Rob Font a decent amount of trouble, I remember, because uh, Font was trying to just, you know, jab really, really hard right through his face. And Almeida made him look silly for it until uh, Font kind of figured out what to do with a jab mid-fight, which was kind of weird, but it was also fun to watch. Um, but yeah, Almeida, he's a very, uh, he mixes up his targets very well. He likes swarming the body. He likes swarming in general. Uh, he's defensively not—I don't think he's defensively awful, but I do think that the style he fights with means that his defense is put on display a lot, and he fails those tests against really dynamic boxers who can uh, 
who can, you know, kind of track his head where when he slips and do that kind of thing. Uh, and he got flustered badly by Cody Garbrandt, if I remember correctly. So um, I don't think Almeida is the type to lose to Jonathan Martinez normally. I don't. I mean, Martinez, he's looked pretty improved, but the Ewell fight was uh, kind of weird from him. And in general, I don't really think much of him as a boxer. I think Almeida could just, you know, swarm him. But again, we've got the Ortega question, which is how awful will he look? And, uh, you know, he doesn't have, like, the mitigating factors that Ortega did. Like, it's a longer layoff, but we've seen long layoffs before. And um, Almeida doesn't have, like, the getting completely wrecked before that thing. He just has a couple of losses, but they were pretty run-of-the-mill losses that fighters tend to have. So, uh, I mean, I think there's a better chance he looks okay than Ortega, especially since he's not facing uh, an elite. But, uh, man, I mean, I really want to see Prime Almeida back. I think he's very, very interesting as a fighter. So uh, hopefully he gets this one. Yep, this is weird. It's also weird because the UFC was actually putting a lot of promotional (laughs) weight behind Almeida, and then he just sort of fell off the face of the planet you know it's just like it's sort of crazy like when that happens and that's sort of what happened with brian ortega too is like they saw a you know a bright-faced handsome dynamic featherweight they're like we can actually put some promotional muscle behind this guy um and uh then you know he just it was sort of just one fight and that was it like that's all she wrote uh so yeah i mean it there's there's never really any this always sort of feels like a wash when I'm forced to call these fights. I'm a lot more excited for next week's discussion. We can talk about what happened because I feel like we have more to parse. Um, but yeah. this time we're so I'm I'm making my Ortega pick sort of based off of a bit of a leap of faith. Normally I, I normally when I break down fights I tend to stick with the tried and true, um, and that you know generally generally helps my picks, but. I guess I'm not gonna do that. I guess I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the two men who have had a combined, let's see, seventeen hundred, several centuries, four years of layoff, five years of layoff. Can you like together? Yeah, that's what I'm picking. Um, so, uh, don't bet on this fight. <laughs> Wait, I feel I like I say that way. Um, I would not recommend betting on it. It just seems seems like a bad idea, because um, you, you, we have no fucking idea what we're gonna see. So, <laughs> anyway, I don't have a lot more. What about you? Yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, you got anything coming out soon, Danny? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I have an article on Alex Pereira, who is you know by a lot of people's metric the kickboxing pound for pound number one. Uh, and I write about, it's, it's, it's like half about Alex Pereira and his left hook. And the other half is just about the left hook in general. Um, I don't actually, it's been a while since I've written one of these types of pieces where I have to do a real like technical and mechanical, uh, analysis of, you know, a specific tactic, but, uh, it was a fun, write. I, I think some of the boxing boys are actually going to appreciate it. Cause I talk about, uh, James Tony and uh, and George Foreman. Um, so I can actually gain some clout with our uh, some of our boxing boys at the fight site. Um, but yeah, that thing is uh, just about finished. I might take another look at it today, make sure it's all edited and clean, but it's pretty much ready to go. What about you? 
Yeah, I read that article. It was very good. That does, Do you have anything coming out? It was a pure setup for anyone listening. Uh, I wrote a uh, Sanhagen kind of uh, look back through his last two wins. Uh, that's kind of how I got the material for this podcast. So if you read that, you might have already gotten the information and vice versa. But I also went through the uh, Hafele Sonsao fight because it's also a secret. Uh, how cool is Hafele Sonsao article? But uh, I, I think it came out pretty well. So uh, I'd give that a look. Coming up, I think... I'm working on something about Whitaker and Cannoneer, but that's uh, still kind of everything's on the back burner until it's published. So I'm just not going to uh, promise anything with that. But that is something that's being planned. So uh, uh, nothing as cool as Danny's, but there is some stuff. There's really nothing cooler than the left hook. Ooh, and also I reference an article that Serum wrote about the left hook. So uh, it really is the only punch that matters. And so naturally <laughs> it will be the punch that flattens Brian Ortega this weekend. Um, thank oh, you all no. for joining us here at the Fight Site. Uh, uh, check out Hyperfly at thefightsite.com. I just checked. Uh, Squarespace is being a little bitch today, but I think the site is still fine. Um, <laughs> check out Hyperfly for jujitsu gear. Go through our link at the bottom of the banner, and you can get a discount. Check out ExpressVPN. I actually need to re-up my own VPN now that I'm thinking about it. Um, and Bovada, you can get a $250 signing bonus, signing bonus, betting bonus, whatever. It's, uh, it's free money to go bet on. So please bet responsibly, but, uh, you know, also go nuts cause $250, right? Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week. What is next week? Do we know? Uh, I, really next week is start, I really need to start looking this up cause I ask it way too often. What is, what is it? Yeah. Next week is Khabib Gaethje. Yep. Whoa. Already? Yep. October 24th, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, then then great. <laughs> then that is what we will be doing. And there's a few other fights in the undercard that we're also going to be talking about. Um, so we'll see you then.